Uh, my name is Trevor. For those of you that don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Desert Springs. Uh, coming up on nine years now, my wife and my four girls, pray for me, um, have been at the church. I love it, actually. Um, but it's just been a blessing. So uh, for those of you that missed last weekend Steve's sermon and announcement, um, uh, these next few weeks are going to be a little bit different in the sense of I'm not going to be hearing from Pastor Steve. One of the re- and one of the reasons why, the main reason why, is because uh, our sister church, Palmcroft, they're going through a time of transition right now um, with, with their leadership. Um, they've actually asked Pastor Steve to step in and help fill the pulpit during this time, during these next few weeks. Uh, the reason we're doing this is because Desert Springs would not exist without Palmcroft. So... We just feel like this is something that we should be doing uh, for our sister church. So I just wanted to let you guys be aware of that and let you know you're stuck with me this morning. So you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, but it's going to be awesome, and I know I'm excited. Uh, but pray for Palmcroft. In fact, Steve's over there right now uh, uh, preaching for them. So I know he would appreciate your prayers for him right now as, as they're going through this time. Um, so first things first, as we uh, step into our stories of faith, so my, I've got to start out with the confession. My confession is, um, so I've, I'm 32 years old, that's not my confession, but I'm born and raised in Arizona, 32 years, I've never been to the Grand Canyon. Until, until, hold on, hold on, a few weeks ago, I was invited by a crazy friend of mine who's been hounding me for years to go to the Grand Canyon and hike this thing. And so finally I decided to go a few weeks ago, and uh, the first night we go check it out, and I think they're just being nice for me, these guys, because they've seen it before and they've hiked it before, but they go for me the previous night just so we can check it out. So I remember walking up to this thing, and if you've been there before, this is how I felt at least, I, it's so big and so massive, it's grand after all, it's, it looks fake. It looks like you can just like, it looks like a stage backdrop, backdrop that you can just touch and grab, or it looks like just some big LED screen. And so as I'm watching this, this whole thing in front of me, I'm thinking, wow, God, you're so awesome. But then secondly, I've got to hike this thing tomorrow. I've got to hike 18 miles in this thing. And I was scared in that moment. I didn't say that, of course, but... Uh, so the next morning, we start out super early. Now, mind you, we start on the, on the Kaibab Trail, South Rim, and we're going downhill. It's downhill, okay? It's like, oh, this isn't too bad. So I'm hiking downhill, but all I can think about is downhill's fine, but then uphill's a little different. I got to get out of this thing. And so we reach the bottom, we go to uh, Phantom Ranch, we get resupplied, get some water, and then we start the, the trek back up to the Bright Angel Trail, and I'm feeling pretty good until about a mile out of the Indian Gardens, uh, I run out of water. Now, fortunately, I was able to resupply my water at Indian Gardens, but that was just a, okay, this is getting difficult. I'm drinking a lot of water here. Resupply, and then I go up the switchbacks of Bright Angel. And I've done, a, I've done a lot of physically challenging things in my life, but that had to be one of the most difficult things I'd ever done in my entire life, going up all of these switchbacks. And there was just this battle that was going on in my mind of, one, when I reached the top, this guy, I've got a few words for him that, 
that brought me along. I got some words for him when we reached the top. But no, really the battle was, I feel like quitting right now. But you know, the thing about the Grand Canyon is you can't really quit. Because if you just sit there, the options aren't very good for you. Um, or if you're like my dad, who uh, broke his ankle, I think, they'll uh, actually just uh, fly you out of there in a helicopter. I needed to restore my family's honor, and I needed to get out of there, okay? I need to walk out of there. But as I'm reaching the last two or three miles, I just keep thinking, I got to keep going. And the thing that was motivating me so much, was I was with a group of guys that had done this hike before. They'd completed it. And it was so encouraging me for me to think that these guys did it. I can do this too. I just got to take my time, pace myself. And it motivated me to finish. And when I reached the top, it felt so good. My legs were wanting to fall off at that point. And I said to myself then, I'd never go back. But now I look, look back on it, I'm like, I'd do it again. I'd do it again. It's funny how that works. Well, in the same way... Uh, We're continuing our Stories of Faith series. The author of Hebrews has been motivating these persecuted believers to keep going. They feel like giving up. They're in that last stretch of trail, so to speak. And it's getting tough. They're being persecuted from both sides, from the Romans and from the Jews. A lot of these are Jewish Christians. They want to give up. But in this motivation now, the author of Hebrews switches to... Not just to motivate them to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith, but look to these men and women, this cloud of witnesses who have gone before them. Men and women that have been in the shoes of these people, that have gone through hard times, that have endured and finished well. And so we have our friend Noah that we're going to be looking at this morning. So Hebrews 11, 6 through 7 is our, our passage we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at this, the, the accounts of Noah in Genesis 6 through 9. I'd encourage you guys to look back on that uh, later today, read through it a little bit more in depth. We're going to just going to go through that a little bit, just with some lessons. So let's read our text, Hebrews 11, 6 through 7. I'm going to be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. It says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he, God, exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, he built an ark. He built an ark to, oh, I missed my spot. There it is, to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So that's our two verses we're going to be looking at closely this morning. But we live in a generation, unfortunately, when you talk about Noah and you talk about uh, Genesis, we could, it could be very easy for us to think we all know the story, but I don't want to take any, any chances with that. So we're going to do a little refresh of the, the Genesis account of Noah as well. So... When you get to Genesis 6, you're, you're realizing that mankind is in a downward trajectory. Things are not going well. And it gets so bad that at one point in Genesis 6, God says he is going to destroy the earth and mankind as a result of what it says is widespread and constant wickedness. Wickedness was on the forefront of people's minds at all times. They were up to no good. It was just a, a devolving culture. But it's in this crazy culture, this bad culture, that we find this man named Noah. 
And it says that Noah found favor with God because of his faith. Now here's what it says in Genesis 6, 8 through 9. Noah, however, unlike all these guys, he found favor with the Lord. He was a righteous man, blameless. Check that out. Blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. Now that's an important phrase. We're going to go back and look at that more closely. But this is the man that Noah was. So God tells Noah to build an enormous ark in order to deliver him, his family, and two of every creature. And it's after he reveals this architectural plan to Noah that he tells Noah how he's going to destroy the earth. He says in Genesis 6, 17 through 18, Understand, Noah, that I am bringing a flood, flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish but I will establish my covenant with you. So, without seemingly batting an eye, it says Noah obeys God and builds the ark. In fact, uh, Genesis 6, 2, it actually says this twice, this phrase twice. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded. And later on we find out the exact same thing is said. Noah did everything God had commanded him. So Noah was obedient and listened right away. Now the next day after completing the ark, no, it didn't happen. It took a while. After completing the ark, God commands Noah to take his family, animals, and supplies into the ark, and then who shuts the door? Who shuts the door? God. That's an important detail. God closes the door. After God closes the door, God sends the floodwaters, and then we're introduced to this thing called rain. So up until this point, we find out in Genesis that God has watered the earth through uh, water that's come up from the ground. That's how he's watered the earth. And we find out that it's rain that's coming down and these floodwaters rising as well. And this is what wipes out every living thing. Now after the floodwaters subside, Noah, his family, and the animals leave the ark and are commanded to repopulate the earth. And then God promises to never destroy the earth again by flood, that's also an important detail, and establishes his covenant to Noah through a rainbow. We've been seeing that a lot this month so far, and it's, it's just a reemphasis of God's promises to Noah. Amen? Right? So these are the promises of Noah established through the rainbow, Genesis 6 through 9. So, a lot to cover there, but the question we need to ask through that whole account is, how do we see the faith of Noah? How do we see the faith of Noah? And we have to start with Noah himself, and it's super important because we find Noah in the midst of this perverse, wicked culture that Noah finds favor with God, he's righteous, he's blameless. Think about that. He is blameless, and he walked with God in a culture that was going against the entire flow of all of that. So what does that tell you automatically about Noah? Was Noah a guy that was a guy who went along with the culture, who went along with what everyone else was doing? Is that who Noah was? No. Noah was different. Noah wasn't afraid to uh, go against the flow. Noah wasn't afraid to go the opposite way. He was used to this because he was a man of faith and he walked with God. That's important because I think when we read Genesis, sometimes we can think in these big accounts, these big moments, so to speak, that all of a sudden these people switch on the faith, the faith switch. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I guess i got to turn my faith on now. Whoop. It wasn't like that. Noah walked with God. He was a man of faith and he was prepared for this moment. 
Now, what I love about this, it says that Noah walked with God, and that's important because we find out through Hebrews, and we also find out through Genesis, Noah came from a lineage of faith. So who did we talk about last week in the Hall of Faith? We talked about Abel, and we talked about who? Who's the other guy? Enoch, okay? Enoch, we read, was described as walking with God. Now, that's really awesome because Enoch is... Noah's great-grandfather. Enoch is Noah's great-grandfather. And both Enoch and Noah are described as walking with God. Now, the reason I think that that's so cool is this tells me something. When Enoch, we, we found out last weekend, when Enoch was taken, when he was caught up, when he was taken by the Lord, did his faith go with him? Did his faith suddenly disappear after he was gone? He passed on his faith. Enoch passed on his faith to his kids. He passed it on to his family, who then also raised kids who passed on their faith. And that's how we get Noah. I don't know about you guys, but I think we need a lot more of that these days. People that are raising their kids to follow the Lord, who then are kids who raise kids who, raise kids who follow the Lord. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for my daughters. And I'm sure that's the case for you. But this is the lineage of faith that Noah came from. So we reach this pivotal moment, climactic moment, where God tells Noah to do something difficult that requires faith, the unseen. And instead of doubting, Noah listens, and twice again it says, does everything God commanded him to do. Hebrews eleven seven, our text says, by faith Noah built an ark to deliver his family. Let's think about this again. You guys remember, like, how big is this boat that was, he was commanded to build? Big. Massive. This thing was so 450 feet long, estimated, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, three stories, three decks, right? Made out of gopher wood. I guess it's good wood. You got to make it out of gopher wood, I guess, right? And then two of every kind of animal. Now, I'm picturing like, um, I'm, when I was a little kid, I was picturing Noah is like, riding on a camel or something like that, rounding up all these animals or something like that. Fortunately, the text says, God's awesome, and he says, they will come to you, all right? So, but you still have to tend them. You still have to manage them and feed them. So you got all these animals coming to you. And in addition to that, you got to prepare food and supplies for your family and these animals. Scholars estimate anywhere from 75 to 100 years, this whole process taking place. A lot of time and a lot of work. I guess he, had no, he didn't have anything better to do, maybe? No, this guy had a lot to do, but he invests 75 to 100 years to obey the Lord and prepare all of this for what? We find out in Hebrews 11 about something that was not yet seen. He was warned about this flood. He'd never seen this before, no point of reference, no context. What is this thing, that rain, flood that you have coming? I don't know, but I trust you. And he was motivated by godly fear, it says. So not only do we find out that Noah has a personal, ongoing relationship with what Yahweh, with God, but we also find out that he has the fear of God. Now this is something that's not talked about in church a lot these days, but there's, there's something that we need to understand is that we serve a holy God and we need to fear him. 
And one of, my, uh, one of the pastors that I listen to who lives in Texas, which will become relevant in a moment, uh, he, this is how he describes the fear of God. This is, this is how to not describe the fear of God. So um, there's, a, there's a breed of goats called fainting goats. Have you guys heard of this before? Okay. I was corrected past service. I just said goats. But this person came up and said, no, 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 it's an actual breed, fainting goats, okay? I didn't know that, but there's goats, okay, that faint. And so this pastor and his friends, when they were younger, they would sneak into these, these, these farms, okay, and they would sneak up behind these goats, and they would sneak up behind them, and they would just take their hands and just smack these goats on the behind because it's Texas. Maybe there's nothing better to do. I don't know. So they hit these things, and what, what do you think happens to these goats? They faint. They fall over and they have a lot of fun, okay? This is what you do when you're in Texas, all right? So he says, that's, that's not the fear of God. Now, the fear of God is this. Now, imagine me and my friends doing the same thing. We go into the zoo and we get into the lion's cage. And we try and sneak up behind the lion and do the exact same thing. Imagine sneaking up behind a lion and just smacking that thing right on his... No way. Absolutely not. Because Why? I choose life, right? I, I'm not going to mess with this. This thing is awesome. It's the king of the jungle. And it's the same thing with, with Noah. We see that he has this healthy, awesome, loving relationship that's safe, but also there's a healthy, you're in charge and you're powerful, and this motivated Noah to finish the ark. We find out also by faith he condemned the world. Noah condemned the world through his obedience and by speaking the truth. What does it mean that Noah condemned the world? So if you're familiar with any type of pop culture right now, um, which having done student ministries for 11 years, I have to stay up to date on that type of stuff, um, fortunately, unfortunately. Um, so if you've been in the news, you've seen that there's been a big court case right now Johnny Depp, Amanda Heard, right? All of that ugly mess. Crazy. And there was a pronouncement, okay? There was a pronouncement of guilt, of condemnation, okay? And it's the same thing here. By faith, Noah condemned the world. The world was guilty. The world was wrong. Noah was right when the flood came. And what that tells me is this. Who was condemning Noah before the flood? Who was the one condemning Noah? Reverse that. The world was condemning Noah. The world was the one pointing their finger at Noah saying, Noah, you're wrong. Noah, you don't know what you're talking about. Noah, this is a huge waste of time. Now logically this makes sense because even if you look through uh, the story of Genesis, if you look and find a place where people are gathered around Noah and his family around the ark pointing and laughing at them, you're not going to find that story. Okay, So I want to be careful and, and, and say that. However, I think there's great evidence that we can see that Noah and his family were ridiculed, were mocked, and made fun of this entire time. Because of this verse that says that Noah condemned the world, meaning reversal, that it was up till that point 
the world was condemning Noah. But also this, logically, think about this. If you have your neighbor that's building something massive that's coming into your yard or coming into your street or something like that, what are you going to do? You're probably going to go over there and check it out and be like, so, neighbor, what is this thing? I see you've got a lot of gopher wood here. What's going on here? All right? You find out, oh, you're building a boat. So how big? 400. What? Well, that's a big boat. And what are you doing this? Oh, there's a flood coming. And then animals. How many? Two of, two of every, what? Two of every kind? What would you think hearing all that? I think the guy's crazy. I think the guy's a crazy neighbor. I'd stay away from him, right? I'd make fun of him, right? All these things, we actually find out at the end of Hebrews 11, verse 36, these men and women of faith, that all that they've been through, they're characterized as being mocked. It says that they were mocked. There's no reason to think that Noah and his family were excluded from this. Noah and his family were mocked. They were ridiculed. They were persecuted. They were going through a hard time. 75 to 100 years of this. Now, it's interesting because we find out that uh, the Bible has a lot of other places to talk about Noah. And it's actually in First and Second Peter we see more about Noah. And in Second Peter 2.5, we find this. Do you think Noah is sitting there quietly just building a boat the entire time? Is he just sitting there building a boat and that's it? What's he doing? We find out in 2 Peter 2.5, he is a preacher of righteousness. Noah was opening his mouth and proclaiming, hey guys, there's a flood coming. Hey guys, what you're doing is wrong. Hey guys, you're in sin. You need to change. You need to repent. You need to change your mind. And then you need to get into the ark and be delivered from this flood. Noah was preaching this message the entire time. We also find out 1 Peter 3.20 says, God patiently waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared. Now, my question is, why would God patiently wait? What's the point of God patiently waiting for anything? Well, obviously, he wants to give his boy Noah some time to build this massive thing, right? So that's nice. But what's the second reason why God would patiently wait? Why? To what? To give people time to think and hear this message and say, hmm, Maybe I need to get my life together and change some things, and maybe I need to get on this ark, or better yet, help Noah build this thing, right? And be delivered from this flood. But for 75 to 100 years, who's there at the end of it all? When the flood comes, who's there? Just Noah and his family. Think about that. 75 to 100 years of you preaching this message and what? Nothing. Just people making fun of you. Just people hurling insults at you. People making you feel like you don't know what you're doing. And your proof of all this is God told me. God told me. But the flood came. And it was the flood that proved Noah was right and the world was wrong. And when it was time, God shut the door. So because of Noah's faith, His family was delivered. They were saved from certain destruction and death. Noah was vindicated. He was right. He said, sorry world, it's you that's wrong, not me. Can you imagine what this did to Noah's faith? Watching this flood happen? Can you imagine what that did to Noah's faith? The strengthening that happened of his faith? 
And we find out even more from the book of Hebrews that Noah and his family inherit a whole new world because of all of this. So let's look at the application. So what does this mean for us? What does the author of Hebrews have for his readers? What can we take from this? So first thing is this. When we daily, and I say daily, walk by faith, it prepares us to obey God when he calls us to something difficult or monumental. It prepares us for that moment. Don't miss that verse. Noah walked with God. So again, Noah did not turn on the faith switch when God called him to build this ark. That switch was already on for a long time. He'd been walking with God. And do we hear anything about Noah leading up to this point, by the way? No. So all of this time has gone on, Noah faithfully walking by faith, walking with the Lord, minuscule behind-the-scenes moments, and I would say the Christian life can be like that for a lot of us. A lot of the Christian life can be behind the scenes, small moments where we're just daily doing our thing. And it's, it's, it's at times we feel, okay, I'm ready, God, whatever that thing is. But we need to realize, just like Noah, these small moments of walking daily with God in faith prepares us for the big moment when God says, all right, it's time. I got something big for you. This is awesome. Faith, it's been said, is like a muscle. It needs to be exercised to get stronger. Faith is like a muscle. It needs to be exercised to get stronger. So if you don't exercise your faith, are you going to have a strong faith? No. But if you guys do know anything about working out or going to the gym or anything like that, it's not just one day of blasting your quads or your legs or anything like that that's going to cheat. No. It's the day-to-day, behind-the-scenes grind that slowly over time going to make the biggest difference and the same with our faith. When we're faithful with the little things, God prepares us for the larger tasks of faith. Now here's a fun one. We as believers are called to be faithful, not popular. I'll say that again. We as believers are called to be faithful, not popular. So remember this. Noah is going the total opposite direction of the culture. Noah was not a popular guy already. He was different. And then he's called to do something that seems even crazier. And no one listens to Noah this entire time. So no one shows up. So if if Noah was planning a church on the ark, he'd probably be considered a failure. Because how many people show up for this? His family, right? Well, it's, yeah. It's your family. They have to show up, right? But you could look at Noah and be like, what a failure. This guy didn't get anybody, right? And yet, where do we find him? Hebrews 11. Because God calls us not to be popular. He doesn't call us for results. He calls us to be faithful. Oh, by the way, Noah's message. Was that a fun message for him to talk about? Was that fun? Hey, guys, guess what? You're going to die if you don't stop doing what you're doing and believe, believe Yahweh, get on this boat. You think that's fun? No. So he's already unpopular, but now he's 
saying this message that probably makes people upset that they might find offensive or bigoted or whatever. So his message was controversial. And as believers, what the author of Hebrews is writing to these guys and what we need to understand today is this. You are not called to be popular as a Christian. You're called to be faithful. And that means there's parts of the message of the Bible that are more and more becoming unpopular. If you are a Bible-believing Christian, Steve talked about this last week, it is a promise from the Word of God. All, no exceptions, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus might be persecuted, will be persecuted. And we just look at the, 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 the picture of the ark. How was there multiple ways of salvation for these people from the flood? One way of salvation. We as Christians need to understand we carry that same message today and people might not like it. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, not even that really nice person that lives next door to you, we need to stand on the truth and preach the message of the truth, even though it's controversial, even though people might not like us, even though people might mock us. Let's talk about another fun topic that we don't talk about in church all the time. Judgment. The story of Noah shows us that it's a scary thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Just like you don't go up, go up behind a lion and smack it on the rear end, you don't mess with the Lord. We're going to find out in Hebrews later, it says the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. God is a loving parent, and we're his kids if we believed in him. He's going to discipline us because he loves us. He wants us to be more like him. God's also holy. There's none like him. He's set apart from everything else. He's perfectly righteous, and because of that, there cannot be any sin. And because of that, there is a place, Desert Springs, called hell. Yes, I said it. There's a place called hell, and God, it, it's a place for people who choose, and I say that willingly, it is a place for people who choose not to be with God. There's people who say, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't want to believe in Jesus, and that's what hell is. And we as believers are called to proclaim and warn what is not yet seen to non-believers and the Bible teaches that Jesus is coming again to execute judgment and justice, just like we see in the flood. Now with that, does God come now and say, here comes the flood, there the next day. Is that what happens? He what? Gives time. It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus was on the earth and ascended to heaven after he rose again. We are in the 75 to 100 years right now waiting for Jesus to take his bride. We're waiting for that moment. And it says that God is patient. He doesn't desire that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's giving you time to hear the message. Now that's not a fun message 
but it's the truth. 2 Peter 3 says in the last days that there will be mockers who mock us and say, where's the promise of his coming? In other words, just like Noah, hey Noah, where's this flood? You're talking about this flood that's going to come. Okay, where is it? Okay? You as a Christian, you might be like, oh, you're flying spaghetti monster friend. You're a cute little imaginary friend, Jesus. Where is he? You said he's coming back. I don't see him. Where is he? And they'll mock you. They'll jab you. And just like Noah, up until that point, we can look like idiots or seem crazy until we find out in Revelation 19, then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. And its rider is called Faithful and True and with justice he judges and makes war. This is cute little baby Jesus, by the way, guys, wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's coming as a king, his second coming. His eyes are like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God, the Logos. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses. I wonder who that could be. I think it's us. All right. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. He has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. When he comes in that moment, Desert Springs, it's the world that will be condemned. It's the world that will say, oh, we were wrong. And that is the moment God shuts the door. So this is talking about non-believers, but Hebrews is focused on believers. We can't sit here thinking as believers, are we exempt of judgment? Believers in Jesus Christ? No. Now I want to clarify, this is not, we're talking about the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ, that Christians and Christians alone are going to stand before Jesus. This is not the great great white throne judgment where non-believers are cast into the lake of fire. This is believers in Jesus Christ who have already been guaranteed the promises of heaven, who are going to go to heaven, but they still have to stand before King Jesus, like we are singing, eye to eye, standing before the risen King, and you have to give an account, Christian, for your life. And Hebrews is all about us as believers enduring and being faithful to the end. Not so that we'll go to hell. That's, that's not what it's talking about. It's so that we won't lose reward. It's so that we won't experience that judgment that happens in our life, in this life. So when Jesus comes back, he's coming for a pure bride. He's coming for a pure bride. Now when Jesus comes back and he takes us up to be with him, just like he took up Enoch, when he takes us up, for some believers, that's going to be an awesome day. We're going to be like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I was waiting for you. Just like Noah, I'm ready. Bags packed, prepared, ready to go. I've been preaching this message faithfully. Ready. Some Christians, some believers, check this out. 1 John 2.28. 1 John 2.28. It says this. Some Christians, some believers in Jesus Christ are actually going to shrink away at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Because they're thinking, that was today? I'm not ready. 
I don't want you to be that believer. The big picture of Noah is this. God rewards believers for their obedience and faithfulness to him. God provided Noah and his family deliverance. Now listen, I want to be careful. I'm not, I'm not talking about naming it and claiming it and God's going to take you out of all these hard things you're going through. That's, that's not the promise. Remember, what's the promise, in fact? Multiple times, John 16, 33, like, uh, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, don't, don't fear, I have overcome the world. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but the solution is what? Who's our deliverance? Who is our refuge in all of this? Jesus. Jesus is our refuge in the storm. And he will deliver us from those things. He is our refuge and we can trust in him. And someday, Jesus will deliver us from sin. He's going to deliver us from the hard things in life that we're experiencing. That full deliverance will come someday. But we can find refuge in him, just like Noah and his family found refuge in the ark. Just like Noah had faith and obeyed God and inherited this new world after the flood, faithful believers in Jesus are going to inherit the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to receive this reward. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to, I don't want the little, I don't want to experience the new heavens and new earth with the little sippy cup version of it. Like, oh, that's cool. It's still full, but it's a little sippy cup. I want like the big gulp, like massive, like, Yes, the new heavens and the new earth. I have the capacity and the faith to enjoy the fullness of the kingdom of God. That's what I want. I don't want to miss any ounce of that. And if we're faithful and obedient, that can be ours. Now finally, God keeps his promises. In a world of broken promises, in a world where people go back on their word all the time, we can trust Through our lineage of faith, we can trust through our lives leading up to this point. We can trust through the the reliability of the word of God, archaeology, all these things. We can trust that God keeps his promises. And he keeps promises like, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I love this one. In my father's house there are many rooms. And I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. And I will come again, and I will receive you to myself. That's a promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It is appointed for a man to die once. After this comes judgment. And finally, behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will give it to each person according to what they have done. We're almost at the end of the trail, guys. We're at the end of the trail. We're getting close. And just like I wanted to quit, just like I wanted to not keep going on that trail, I want to encourage you in your faith, keep going. Think about these men and women that have gone on before us who have run this race and done it well. Think, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Stay faithful to the Lord. Walk by faith. Don't give up. Because when you reach the top, when you reach the end, when you stand before Jesus Christ face to face, are you going to care about anything at that moment? 
It's just going to be about Jesus and it's all going to be worth it. Live for that day. Live for that moment. Don't give up. If you have not believed in Jesus, if you believe that going to heaven means that I go to church all the time, that I say my prayers, that I was baptized, that I'm a good person, that my parents are Christians, whatever the case may be, if I'm not talking about your parents, I'm not talking about what you do, it's by grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, lest anyone should boast, it's because of the goodness of God, us coming to Jesus saying, I give up, I trust in you, that's believing in God, that's believing in Jesus. If you have not made that decision to believe in Jesus, I want to tell you a few things. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He sent his son to die for you, to die your death, to die your punishment. And he rose again, having victory over death, over sin. And he's left us in this time of waiting to tell you there's time to come to him, to believe in him. But I need to tell you, time is running out. Time is running out. There's going to come a day when God's going to shut the door. And that day might come when you pass away when you die, or that day might come when Jesus comes, and you need to be ready for that moment, because in that moment, Jesus returns, the door is shut, and it's too late, and I want you to not be caught on, off guard like the people in Noah were, but to be aware. Who do you say that Jesus is?